Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. I hope that you have had a great morning. And some of you with little ones have probably been up for several hours. You may be on your fourth or fifth cup of coffee right now. While others, if you don't have little ones, you may have slept in and you're just getting moving or you're watching this on replay. And regardless, I'm glad you joined us. And I hope this is a restful, enjoyable day for you. I also want to share with you just a few thoughts as we wrap up. Um, the series that we've been doing about the light of the world. And I've got a few things I want to share with you, but one of the things I also want to do is just go through the Christmas story with you this morning. It is a great day to do that, but also remember that we have a tendency to treat these stories in Scripture kind of the way we treat social media, and that is we romanticize things um, and sometimes miss what's really being said. For for example, uh, you may, if you do have little ones, you may pose them, dress them, you know, have them looking perfect, perfect hair, perfect clothes, perfect house. You, you've cleaned up the house and you've got your kids just ready and you get the perfect picture. Now, five minutes before or five minutes after may be an absolute train wreck. But what gets posted is this beautiful, perfect, idyllic uh, frame of your children or yourself or your meal or whatever we post to social media. And a lot of times um, our lives often, they just don't portray um, what we put on social media. A lot of times when we come to scripture and we read these stories, sometimes the story has a lot more of an edge to it than we give it credit for because we want them to feel good. We want all of our interactions to God are with God to feel like uh, everything's going to be fine and everything's good. And, and when God's involved, there are no problems and no stress. I want to tell you that is not the story of the birth of Jesus, because there is a lot of stress and there are a lot of problems. And in fact, there's a lot of terror and just horror. And as we go through the story, I want you to kind of put yourself not just in the uh, place of Jesus, because what I'm going to share with you today, Jesus, he, you know, he's just a toddler or a baby. But I want you to put yourself in the position of Joseph and Mary. And I also want you to remember that throughout this announcement of the birth of Jesus, Jesus is described as Emmanuel, God with us. And so the prevailing question I want us to look at is what what does it look like for God to be with us when life doesn't go the way it should? Well, why don't we dive into the story and let's just follow through and let's just see what it says. Okay, let's start with Matthew chapter one, verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now you've read this. You've heard this. You may have already read this this morning with your family or last night or I don't know what your traditions are. It goes on to say when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, that is the story that we often read. And because we're on this side of the story, it makes sense to us. We're excited about it, and it just feels good. However, if we look at what's happening here, we have this young teenage Jewish girl who is engaged to this man, Joseph, and she has a dream that she's going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She's just going to be found to be pregnant. And to be found would have been to been found by the people she lived around, the people in her hometown and her family and her friends who were going to be like, uh, Mary... Uh, what's going on here? That certainly was the way Joseph responded because the beginning of this story shows him thinking, I've got to get out of here. This, my fiance is telling me she just happened to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And it's only because he has a dream that he decides to stay and marry her. Kind of a crazy beginning of the story of the birth of Jesus on this most special of Holy days for Christians, the day of the birth of our Savior. Now let's keep going and let's keep looking at this story. We have this introduction that Joseph is a great guy. He's he, he's willing to stick around. But it's still a little bit of a weird story. Luke 2 is another part of the story that we're often familiar with. And it says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Now, as I read that, you saw a few pictures pop up, and those were just some fun pictures that I found of this very interesting idea of what it might have looked like uh, when Jesus was being born. And you probably have what I call a manger scene, but uh, people with more class than me call them nativities. Uh, but you probably have a manger scene either on your tree or maybe somewhere in your house that has this baby and this interestingly crafted manger with probably this warm and soft and cuddly hay that's in there. Not scratchy, not poking, just warm, just kind of like fleece. And then you have all these people around it that are just kind of looking and leaning in and marveling at this thing. Well, but there's really a lot happening here. And if you put yourself in the place of Mary and Joseph, you find yourself in a very uncomfortable place right off the bat for the birth of your first child. For one, there's question from your friends and family, who is the father of this child? And number two, now your taxes are going up, which we can kind of relate to right now as inflation rises and as taxes rise. Uh, when taxes go up, that's not good. Nobody likes to have less of their income uh, because they've got to pay more. But they're going and they're having to travel. She's apparently pretty pregnant at this point and is going to have to make 
the distance on either a donkey or a horse or some way to get her from, you know, from her hometown to Bethlehem to be registered. And then when they get there, she goes into labor. And she's not with any of her friends and family. There, there's no baby shower. There's, there's nobody there that's going to help her through this process. And then there's not even a comfortable room for her to give birth in. And now a lot of these pictures will have animals and cows and sheep and goats and different animals that are kind of looking on as if they've come in to see. Maybe that happened. We don't really know. A major could have referred to a stable or it could have referred to just, excuse me, an extra room in the house or even a cave somewhere where you could seek shelter. So we don't really know what happened, but the idea that everyone is just glowing and this is just a wonderful warm moment is not likely the case. It's really a hard time for them. And then as, as the baby comes, all of a sudden these shepherds start pouring in and they come in and they say, we had a vision that an angel came and told us that this was the Messiah. We should come see you. And they come in from the fields and, uh, you know, they're, they probably haven't had a shower and they're coming to kind of marvel at your baby. And, and it, it, the text does tell us that Mary was super impressed by this. Uh, it says that she just kind of pondered all these things in her heart, like what's happening here? You know, with the announcement of Emmanuel, God with us, it makes me wonder, was there a moment for Mary and Joseph at this point thinking, okay, if this is God that Mary's just been given birth to, okay, but where is God? Because it doesn't seem like this is the way he should enter into the world. Story goes on, and we have this um, interesting visit from the Magi that we're not exactly sure who they are or what they are. And depending on who you ask, they'll give you a different description. But they come bearing these three gifts and they come by way of Jerusalem and visit King Herod. And King Herod talks with them and he finds out that they are visiting this new king of the Jews of that he thought when he woke up that morning, he was the king of the Jews, not this baby being born. And so he, in envy and anger and frustration, um, says, well, I, wanna, I want you to tell me where this child is because I want to go and worship. But we know in the back of his mind he's thinking, I, I need to kill my rival. If anyone else thinks that this is the king of the Jews, I, I, need, I need to end that now because I'm the king of the Jews. So the Magi leave and they go and visit and they give these three just immaculate gifts that we wouldn't necessarily give for our friends who are having a baby. But for them, gold, frankincense, and myrrh meant livelihood. We know that they're going to have to travel again. It meant they had resources to travel and they were going to be able to take care of this baby and take care of their family. And with all of these uncertainties, they weren't going to be destitute at this point. So that is is a real blessing. But at some point, they're ready to go home and, and they've, they've finished the census and they're ready to go visit with their family and show them Jesus. And then they have a vision that says, you need to leave because King Herod is sending his soldiers to come and kill your son. Now, I don't know about you, 
But this doesn't fit the little tykes uh, manger scene that you can buy your child to play with um, at Christmas time. Like this is a horror story. Can you imagine after you have given birth and there's news that the reigning king of your home country is coming after you and is sending his soldiers to kill your child? Well, they leave and they head down to Egypt. And that is probably another 300 mile trip that now this new young mother has to, to bring this new baby um, down to Egypt and while they're there, they still have no family to be with them. They are away from their hometown. They're in a foreign land. They don't have any connections or, or, or any way to network. Thankfully, they have the gifts that the Magi had brought them. But somewhere along the way, they're going to hear that this king sought out Jesus. And because he couldn't find him, decided to kill all the children, the male children that were born within a two-year period of time. The story feels a lot less like a Hallmark movie and a lot more like a horror movie. So as the, the story continues, eventually King Herod is going to die, and, and they decide it's time to go back. It's not just that they decide. They have another vision, a dream, that it's time to go back, and so they go back. And when they get back, Joseph realizes that King Herod's son is now the reigning king, and he's just as bad as his father. And he has another dream that says, do not go back to the home of Joseph, which would make sense. This is, um, this is the savior of the world that they've given birth to, and he is from the line of David. He should grow up in the home of David. But instead, the dream says, go, no, instead to Mary's hometown. And that's where you're going to raise this child. And so they go and they raise the child in Nazareth. It's really, it's, a, it's an incredible story of all the things that are going on. And I just wonder throughout this process how Mary especially thought about God being with her. I wonder what she hoped for and prayed for. I can imagine what she feared. I can imagine the questions in her head. I, I can imagine that she never thought her life was going to be like this. And even though she is said to have been the most blessed woman um, to ever live, I doubt she really felt that blessed. But, but maybe she did. Maybe I'm wrong. And, and just the whole reality of this being Jesus... Uh, None of these things mattered, but as a parent, and, and if you're a parent, and especially if you're a mom, I imagine you can relate to the idea that having to flee with your child to try to save your child's life is pretty, pretty stressful. It's not really the Christmas story that we often hear or that we often um, want to, to tell at this joyous, festive, celebrating time of year. You know, so I think about this story and I think about what we've shared about the light of the world. Some of the things we've talked about is that the light is um, here. Jesus himself pronounced later that he was the light of the world. We also talked about the reality that Jesus said we 
um, had the light in us and that we would be the light of the world. And um, in fact, if we read first Corinthians chapter three, verse 16, it says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. There is a light in us. God is with us. And then Jesus also said that if you want to walk in the light, you can by following the way in which he shows us to walk. And, and in other words, if we begin to live our lives the way Jesus lived his life, we actually get to walk in the light. And all of this, what Jesus is trying to, to say to us, and, and I think what God is trying to show us in the story, because interestingly, there is so little we know about Jesus's childhood. There is this story later where, you know, they're traveling and they lose Jesus and he's in the temple teaching and they go and and, you know, he gets in trouble, but he doesn't really get in trouble uh, because, I mean, he's teaching and all the rabbis are listening to him. So it's just this really weird story. It, it just it, it tells us that. Because there's so little about Jesus's childhood, something about this birth story is incredibly important for us to know. Something about this kind of origin story of Jesus is important for us to know for our lives. See, the light of the world was here. Today, we on Christmas Day, we celebrate that he came. He is alive. He is with us. He is here. We aren't waiting for the Savior, the Savior has already come. We can know him. We can walk with him. We can walk in the light with him. We also can share this light with others. It's really just an amazing, amazing story. Are there other stories in the scriptures that you've studied that sound similar at all to this story? Is there any other story you can think of where there's a king who kills children? And out of this group of people, a savior comes. There's an old, old story in scripture that is the origin story for the Hebrew uh, nation that would become Israel. Um, that is the Exodus, the time in which they have been enslaved and God says, I'm going to call you out of Egypt. And then interestingly in this story, their call out of Egypt is that they are going to have to travel through the Jordan. And then and throughout this story, um, they're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness waiting for the deliverance that would eventually come as they got to enter into the promised land. It's It's a story that... Uh, the Jews of this day would have known very well. And it's very similar to the story we read about Jesus. Moses was a child that was saved when all the other children, all the other children were killed of his time. And, and he was, uh, in a basket and he floated down the river until Pharaoh's wife found him and adopted him and raised him. And he would then be used by God to deliver Hebrews out of the Hebrews out of Egypt. And then as he brought them out of Egypt, they would cross the Jordan. 
They would wander for 40 years in the wilderness before they would eventually enter into the promised land, into the land of blessing, into the promise of God, into deliverance, into this new home, this new reality, this new life. The story of Jesus is very interesting in that in the beginning of Jesus' story, the ruler is trying to end the life of Jesus, and so he kills all the children in his town that would have been around his age, all the male children around his age, and then he has to flee to Egypt, and then God has to bring him back out of Egypt. He has to travel through the Jordan as he is baptized, and then he will spend not 40 years in the wilderness, but 40 days in the wilderness as he is tempted and he begins for his public ministry, in which would eventually culminate into the blessing of new life, of new hope, of salvation of the world through his death on the cross and then his resurrection after. This story is very similar. And I bring that up because we find some of these parallel stories throughout Scripture. And I do not in any way intend to say that it's just a story. This with Jesus happened. I mean, we, we have evidence that it happened. We have a whole group of people that were changed because it happened. We have a whole movement that happened as, as a result of, of God's work with the disciples and the apostles and, and then their work with others as the church grew and grew and grew until we have what it is today. This is not just a story, but you cannot miss some of the parallels of this story. And I believe that one of the reasons that we have these parallels is for God to show us there are so many things in life that change. There are so many things in life that stay the same. God is with us when it is good. God is with us when it is bad. You know, I, there's so many things I wonder about the childhood of Jesus. Did he ever get in trouble? Well, we know he got in trouble when he left his mom and dad, but... Even then, it's kind of hard to see that did the parents ever have to, did Mary and Joseph ever have to discipline Jesus? Or did they feel like they could discipline Jesus? I think they probably did. I mean, he was, he experienced everything we experienced and he grew up as a little child and he had to grow and mature. The scriptures tell us that he matured and he grew in stature and, and, and so he didn't just, wasn't just born with all the knowledge and the ability to, to be the Jesus we read about in his later in his life. It makes me wonder what it was like when he sat in Torah school, because all children <clears throat> had to learn Torah and um, had to be able to memorize the first five books of the Bible by the time that they were 10 years old. I, I just wonder, did he memorize them before? <laughs> like I, I was there when that happened. When it talks about the creation, I was there when that happened. Happened. I just wonder a lot about this life of Jesus and, and what it would have looked like. But what we see in this story is that Jesus's family went through a lot of really hard things. <clears throat> they had to leave and go to register for higher taxes while she was pregnant, could not find a room in the inn. And had to sleep in either an extra room or a cave or a stable somewhere and give birth to Jesus. They had to run to Egypt because the king wanted to kill their son. They had to stay there away from all their friends and family until they could come back 
And then even when they came back after that king had died, they had to run again because the next king was just as bad. For the first few years of Jesus' life, they didn't have friends and family around them. No doubt they made friends and there were people in a Jewish community in Egypt that would have rallied around them when they were down there. But still, it's not the same as when you're with mom and dad or with your brothers and sisters or your family. And still, what about when they ended up at Mary's hometown and there's still this really interesting question about now who exactly is this father? In all of those places, he is still Emmanuel. God is still with us. In those moments when undoubtedly it was just a quiet, wonderful moment between Mary and Joseph and Jesus after she had given birth, I believe God was there. In those moments when, when Jesus would coo and smile and laugh or as he got older and he took his first steps or he would run away laughing and screaming from mom and dad just in the light that he could run, I, God, was, God was with them. When we look back in the story of Exodus and the story of Exodus tells us that they were crying out for God to deliver them, God was there. When they were being punished, and they were being whipped and they were being abused. And, and the, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh kept increasing the amount of work they had to do. God was with them. And when they walked through the Red Sea, God was with them. Whenever they were wandering in the desert, God was with them. And when they entered into the promised land, God was with them then. God is with us all the time. In the good and the bad, in the hallmark moments, and in the horror stories, God is with us. Which means wherever you are right now on this Christmas morning, in a hallmark moment, which I hope is what your morning is looking like, God is with you. If right now life feels a little more like a horror story than a hallmark moment, God is with you. If you are having the best year of your life, God is with you. And if you feel like you are running for your life and everybody has it out for you, well, God is with you. See, that's the promise of Jesus on this Christmas morning is that God is with us. Now, what we also know is that even though God is with us, we have the opportunity to be with God. You remember when we talked about uh, in our Genesis series about the fall, this, this really pivotal question that God asks Adam and Eve after they have eaten from the fruit that God told them not to eat from. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't tell them how terrible they are. He, he simply asks this question. He says, where are you? Because I'm still here. They had moved. In our lives today, it's very easy to feel that God's not with us. And yet God's not moved. He's always here. There is a place that we must act to move towards him. And there is a time in our lives that when we're struggling and we feel like we're all alone and God's nowhere to be found, there are, are times when God would say to us, I am still Emmanuel. I am still with you. So when life is going well, like today, hopefully, God is with you. 
And when life is falling apart, God is still with you. As we look at all of these things, this question of where is God is just as relevant today as it would have been for Mary and Joseph. As they wandered and walked, as they fled, as she she rode on the back of the donkey and or horse or, or whatever she rode on, God was with her through all of those moments. So this is my prayer for, for you and for us as a church, is to recognize that God is with us. Now, it's up to us to decide where we are. <laughs> are we with God? And some of those are hard questions and, and difficult questions that um, we're going to need to spend some time with over the next few months. But I hope you'll spend time on those questions with me. Because God's not moved. And the question is, is will we move to where God is? Now that certainly assumes that maybe we're not where uh, God is right now. And, and that may be true and that may not be true. And um, there in some ways uh, we probably are exactly where God wants us to be. And in other ways we're not. It requires us to ask the hard question, and I believe Mary and Joseph were asking some hard questions that we often overlook at this time of year. So wherever you are in life, I just want you to remember God is with you. Wherever you're going in 2023, God is with you. Whatever's going great in your life, God is with you. And whatever is falling apart in your life, God is with you with you. I hope that you have a great rest of your day, a great rest of this Christmas season. Maybe you're headed to other family members' homes, or maybe you're just going to rest and relax, take down decorations, or I don't know what your plans are. I hope this is a day of, of resting and relaxing. But maybe take just a few minutes to pray. Thank God that on this day we get to celebrate that God is with us. Maybe take some time and ask yourself, where are you right now today in your life? Am I pursuing God and am I with God or am I somewhere else? Have I been kind of taking another tangent? Have I been going another direction? No matter what you've done, God is still with you. And I'm thankful that that is the truth of God's love for us, whether it be in Exodus or whether it be the birth of Jesus or whether it be in 2023. He's still with us. Well, Merry Christmas. I'm looking forward to uh, kicking off some new things January 1st. I hope that you'll join us. And I'm looking forward to the conversations that we've been having, the, what we've been praying about. And I'm looking forward to putting some feet to some of the things we're talking about um, for our future as a church. Because I also believe God is with us. Well, Merry Christmas. Have a great day. We'll see you soon.